Friends, would you stand with me as we will read today the scriptures, uh, reading Colossians 2, 8 through 15. Please stand as we read the Lord's word. Again, this is the Lord's word. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in him you have been made complete, and he is the head over all rule and authority. And in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. This is the Lord's word. Would you please be seated, friends? And again, let us bow our heads and ask the the Lord's blessing. Again, Lord, we thank you for your word and thank you for this tremendous passage and pray that your blessing be upon us. Father, that you would help people to listen and, and understand and help this servant to be clear as I ought to be and help me to be faithful, not to meddle with the message, but to deliver it as it has been given in your word. Help me to be a faithful uh, workman, one who doesn't need to be ashamed. And also help these your people to hear And please keep Satan from stealing away this message, because I know, Lord, that he would dearly like to keep people from knowing you. So bless us now in this sacred endeavor. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've come again uh, today to this passage, which serves as an antidote to a poison. Um, A poison which was propagated by false teachers in the Lycus Valley. So a little bit of historical background. The Lycus Valley is where the cities of Colossae and Laodicea and Aeropolis were. And these false teachers there propagating this poison, a poison which, if ingested and embraced, if it's believed, would be quite deadly to the Christians as they live and as certainly as they would die or in eternity. You see, doctrine affects how we live our lives And it also affects where we spend eternity. It's a very important thing. Don't don't just think that sound doctrine, or as Paul would call it, healthy doctrine, don't just think that it's only good for eternity. It's meant for life. And as I I think you'll see, uh, this is part part of the thing. I, I receive phone calls, or have received phone calls, of people who have neglected or have not been taught sound doctrine and they are enslaved they're enslaved they're miserable because they're not or they don't know the truth of scripture here the apostle paul cared very deeply for the lord's church even if he had never met many of them he struggled on their behalf he would pray 
No doubt he endured sleepless nights, as he mentions in 2 Corinthians 11, that he felt on himself the daily pressure of concern for all the churches. He wrote letters, and he exhorted them in order to keep them safe, in order to guard them. Those who were younger in the faith and not so discerning, they were easy prey for the false teachers in that area. And if they were led away from Jesus Christ, from resting in him alone, they would suffer, as we mentioned, the consequences both in life, being enslaved, but also in eternity without Christ, would suffer the pains of hell forever. That's, that's what we're talking about here. I mean, it's a very fundamental message that he is getting at here in this book of Colossians. It is a very relevant passage to us in our day where we hear people speak as if, as I mentioned earlier in the service, as if uh, they are somehow more enlightened than the rest, speaking about their truth or their beliefs, plugging in a little bit of this and that uh, religion, right? We hear this. Oh, no, I, I, I kind of tailor my own religion. I like the part of the Bible about heaven, but I also like to include meditation or sweat lodge or charms or fastings and pilgrimages. I'd like to include a little bit of this and that just to make sure that I've got my bases covered. Reminds me of a, a guy in high school who I was talking to once about the Lord. And he says, well, it couldn't hurt to believe in Jesus, is what he said. I'll just put him up there in the panoply of gods so that in case Buddha fails, maybe I can fall back on Jesus. And I'm fearful that this is oftentimes what many people in the Lord's church do today. We kind of pick and choose which things we feel are going to be beneficial to us. And yet we neglect the truth of Scripture. So they come up with these broken, weird systems, these weird concoctions that are, are, are worthless and inconsistent and certainly unbiblical. Like the people of old that Jeremiah spoke to, he said, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, to hew for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns, that can hold no water. So we reject Jesus Christ, but I've got a system, God, that's going to work out. And Jeremiah would say, your cisterns hold no water. You're going to die if you hold to those cisterns, if you rely on those cisterns. So these are Christians that uh, Paul speaks to. They have received Christ Jesus the Lord by Epaphras, who Paul would call a beloved fellow bondservant, who was a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf. He brought the gospel to them. He told them who Jesus Christ is, what he did on behalf of the sinner, instructing them of what it is to have faith in Christ, to repent of sin, and to believe upon the Lord. They received it, says Paul. They received it. As it came from Epaphras and, uh, to Epaphras from the Apostle Paul and from Paul to Paul from the Lord, they were on the right path. They were off to a good start. And Paul's concern is, don't let anyone get you off this good path. Stay put. Don't move away from Jesus Christ. And so as we've come to this section, verses 6 through 15, and we covered 6 and 7 last week, remember this, he gives two fundamental commands, which are very important for us. The first was, as we looked at last week, walk in him. That is, live your life in Jesus Christ. This Christ Jesus the Lord whom you have received, this 
is the one you should walk in. This is the one you should live in. And I believe that in this passage, Paul is not just saying, as you've received the truth of the gospel, live like a Christian. I believe he's also saying this, as you've received the gospel, as you've believed upon Jesus Christ, what I want you to do is stay put in Jesus Christ and don't be distracted by these deluding arguments, by these, these persuasive arguments that people are out there saying, oh, you've got to do a little bit more. Stay put. Walk and live in Jesus Christ. Don't buy into these other doctrines or practices. It is to Jesus Christ that we ought to cling to. It's like a path, a path over which travelers have traveled for many years. It's worn over time. Stay put to the tradition of Christ. As you have received Jesus Christ, stay on this path. Again, Jeremiah says, stand by the ways and see and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. It is Jesus Christ where you will find rest for your souls. Here, these believers in this valley, predominantly here speaking to the Colossian church, they had received the apostolic teaching and they were doing good and would be doing good and will never be disappointed if they remain in Christ. That's the question. Will they remain in Christ? Because there were false teachers like wolves nipping at their heels. Oh, oh, oh you, you should be trying this. You should be doing this. And so he gives a second command here, coming at it from a negative perspective now, cautioning them. They are dangerous. These false teachers are dangerous, and you mustn't put down your guard. So again, as he writes, and we're looking at verses only verses 8 through 10 this morning, he exhorts the believers, you and me, to see to it that no one, that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception because it matters what you believe and it matters, friends, in whom you place your trust. It matters in what you place your trust. Not just that you go to church, not just that you pray or, or read your Bible. In whom is your trust? You see, this determines everything. It's a very fundamental, a very basic message. So what does he say? Look at verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. Now, I have to admit, this, this was a, a bear of a passage to go through because... Um, there is a lot that has been written about this. One commentator said, in fact, he said, it's a good thing, Paul, Peter says, that some of the things Paul wrote about are hard to understand. And he goes, this would certainly be one of those passages that are hard to understand. In fact, if I'm going to say things, and some of you have a Reformation study Bible, and you might compare what I'm saying with those footnotes, and you will find that I don't necessarily agree with the conclusion of the Reformation Study Bible in those footnotes. In fact, commentators are divided on these many things. And so we're going to go into the weeds a little bit, and I want to encourage you, stay with me, and I hope to bring you out of the weeds <laughs> before we're done. Um, it's really, uh, 
I'll tell you, it's it's a real labor when you sit there and you come to a passage like this and you 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 digest and you you think on it and you start seeing how this thing applies and then you have the challenge after you've studied it now how do I say this so I don't lose everyone on the way that's it's one of those passages so I would encourage you stay with me again he says see to it that no one takes you captive giving a second command as he should because he has not just the right to speak to these people but the proper authority to do so remember friends God had called Paul who formerly was Saul of Tarsus, uh, to this very task. He had a stewardship bestowed upon him by God for their benefit. For him to do less than to give these commands, he would have been unfaithful. He had both the right and the obligation to struggle and to contend for their souls. Sometimes we don't like what pastors say. Sometimes we don't like what they say, and we think, boy, they're being heavy-handed. Boy, they really think they're God's gift to the world. Nope. All I think is, is I got to be a faithful pastor to the Lord. And if I don't caution you, as the apostle cautioned them, and as the word has been transmitted to us, this Christ tradition has been trans translated, transmitted to us. If I don't do that, I don't belong in a pulpit. And you need a man, a minister, who is going to deliver the goods. That's it. Don't despise authority, please. I read in the Old Testament in the book of Numbers how um, uh, Korah came up and said, you know, we're all holy. Who are you to tell us? Do you remember that story? And do you remember what God did? He established Moses' authority yet again. And Moses was called the meekest man on the earth. It, it is loving. And I, and I wasn't going to stay on this point, but it is a loving thing to warn people. It is. Again, because the alternative is death. So you decide whether or not you want to listen to the Lord's word. But I'm urging you, don't neglect it. If you neglect it, it is to your own demise, to your own harm. Here he comes with this command. He says, see to it. That is, take care, or we say, make sure that no one takes you captive. He gives a command, again, exhorting them that they should make sure that no one takes them captive or that they are carried away like the spoils of war or that they are led away like a captive, like a slave from the truth or to be subject to someone else's way of thinking. My friends, first understand you must pay careful attention to your walk with the Lord. Notice again, he gives the command to the individuals. You have a responsibility for your souls to pay attention to your walk with the Lord. Never in the history of the world has there been such exposure to so many false teachings as we have going on today. When you consider the internet, you remember, you remember when cable television came to the house and there was a show called MTV and you could watch all day long music videos? Do you remember that? That seemed like, oh, this is incredible. You could have television all day long. What a terrible thing. Because with that came, came television preachers. 
You send your money. Send me your money. Plant a seed of faith. God will bless you. We have all these kinds of things. Charlatans, hawking books, making promises, promises of peace, promises of security, promises of, uh, of prosperity, and, and cheapening the gospel with these completely insane gimmicks. This has infiltrated the church. Gee, I wonder if our nation's been helped or hurt by the flow of information. Then now I can get my church off the, off the television set. I don't even have to get out of my pajamas to go. My friends, it cannot be only the pastor who looks after your soul, and you can't just look at the elders to see to it that you are safe. It is incumbent upon you, your faith, to examine what you're listening to to the diet that you're pulling off the internet, that you're taking off the television, it is incumbent upon you to take care of your soul and not just coast. This is why we promote the, the table talk books. This is why I'm constantly bringing up uh, Sunday school because these are ways in which we are fed. We're fed. We are exposed to what we call the means of grace where the Lord Jesus is held up in front of you. Because as you grow, and if you read this in Hebrews chapter 5, at the end of the chapter, you read this, it's by, by constant use being in the scriptures that we discern between truth and error. What was the issue? New believers being preyed upon by false teachers. Did they know better? Not yet, and this is why the apostle is warning them, because they're sitting ducks for these false teachers. And so it is incumbent of you upon you to examine your lives, to watch and see what you're taking in, for fathers and mothers to look after their children, for husbands and wives to look after each other, and for as believers in the congregation looking after each other. It would be a pointless command if it were not given with the intention of them keeping an eye on what they were exposed to. And understand, friends, if you think, no, no, I, I can spot them. Oh, no, I'm sharp. I can spot these guys. Be careful, because these false teachers and these deceitful workers, just like Satan, appear very beautiful. They do. We've said this so many times. Satan never appears with fangs. He never comes with his horns. The pitchfork, right? Again, a modern invention to make us think, what a silly little, oh no, he's dangerous and he's deceptive. And these false teachers, they're dangerous and they're deceptive and they're beautiful, no doubt. They're probably the most winsome people in the whole Lycus Valley. What's not to like about these people? They're good people. We love them. Oh, they would never tell us anything wrong. Do you believe that? Do you believe men are incapable of lying? Nah, just politicians. <laughs> That's the way we think. No one would ever purposefully lead me astray. Want to bet? What is our understanding of the doctrine of man? Is he basically good or is he basically evil? He's evil. That's why we have checks and balances in our government. This is why we have accountability. This is why we're Presbyterians. It's so that we have elders 
helping the pastor so that we can keep an eye on one another so that I'm not walking off with the checkbook and so that they're not teaching heresies so that we're working together to care for the congregation we believe fundamentally that we are so messed up were it not for the grace of God we'd all end up beating each other in the face so man is basically evil essentially he is evil and it's only by God's grace that we don't act out the evil that we are so capable of doing do not believe for a second that someone wouldn't lie to your face to get your money or to get your body or to get your allegiance do not think it couldn't happen because it happens every day in this world and it is happening here in the Lycus Valley again it's not a pointless command There are many spiritual things out there, and many of those spiritual things are not godly or biblical, but are demonic and are unbiblical. That is, either not found in the Scripture, or they misuse and twist the Scriptures to a nefarious end. He says, keep an eye on them. Beware of those who come at you with things uh, that portray them as, no one else has ever heard what I'm about to tell you. I've got something that no one else, I know there's a lady in town, who does this she tells other people oh, I, I looked into the original languages and this is what it's really saying really 2,000 years and a lady in Lander has discovered the truth that the church for 2,000 years has lost do tell please this is it, it galls me but everyone's an expert oh I've gotten into the written listen you can get into the original and really screw things up. You can. And so it's not just looking at language, but it's also looking at the context. It's looking at the history, examining church fathers, looking at all these things to see what is the scripture teaching. Beware of these things. He says, walk in Christ, hold to the truth of the gospel, which you have received. Stay on that path. But because their goal will be, these false teachers will be to take you captive and to bring you under their control, usually again, as I said, for money or something else that they can get out of you, they will lead you away from the freedom we have in Christ and make you a slave all over again. How will they do it? Well, I'll tell you what they won't do. They won't have hand you over a pair of shackles and say, here, put these on. It's not the way they come. How do they take the unsuspecting or the young in faith captive? He says, through philosophy and empty deception. Through philosophy and empty deception. You know what some of the strongest motivators are? Our praise. You know how Satan gets us so often? With flattery. I'm going to tell you something because I know you're smart and you're going to get this. And you go, hmm. It's like that, like the, the emails I got early on from the Nigerian prince who said he was looking for someone with integrity to send $21 million to. And I'm like, well, he's got the right guy, right? I had it too, Al. <laughs> I used to go, should I respond? Flattery. Praise. Oh, you, you, you're smart. I can tell. You get it. Through philosophy and empty deception. What does he mean by philosophy? First of all, um, and this is where we're going into the weeds a little bit, and I want to encourage you, stay with me here. Um, 
when we think of the, when we hear the word philosophy, we think of the statue. Remember the thinker? He's sitting there, that bronze statue. Men like Immanuel Kant and uh, Rene Descartes, Descartes uh, Kierkegaard, thinkers who pondered and wrote about thought and life and reason, you know, cogito ergo sum, I think, therefore I am. That's not what he's talking about here. And so I know some of you have studied philosophy. I was thinking of our new friend who studied philosophy. And I go, oh, he's probably thinking I'm, I'm going to get all down on, you know, Descartes and Kierkegaard and all this. That's not at all what Paul is talking about. In fact, uh, reformers were really concerned that people were taking this verse and misapplying it to say that these disciplines like economics or law or medicine, that these things, oh, no, you should just focus on the Bible. He's, Paul's not saying this. He's not saying that at all. He is not cautioning against the disciplines in this life. He's certainly not anti-education, nor should we be. We do need to be careful with what we imbibe, and I do believe we need to be careful what we call education, just like we ought to be careful what we call science. Again, not being duped by the fact that, well, there are some people who are objective. Friends, there is nobody who is objective. You're not. Nobody is objective. We all have a bent towards something. The apostle is not speaking against these things as we understand as philosophy. What does he mean by philosophy? What is it that he cautions? Here, um, Thayer says this, the, the caution was a mix of Jewish and Christian ascetics, that is strict self-denial. You know, you think about this passage and the context. He's thinking about ascetics, the strict self-denial, which busied itself with refined and speculative inquiries into the nature and classes of angels, into the rituals of the Mosaic law, and the regulations of Jewish traditions respecting practical life. It has to do, philosophy has to do here with the idea of holiness and salvation. It was a composition of thoughts. Jewish and pagan, perhaps with Christian lingo, that would teach people that by their efforts, by their disciplines, they could secure a holy and happy life. One, one commentator called it a theosophy, a blend of wisdom and theology. And we come up with these concoctions. You can look Wikipedia, this stuff. Uh, uh, Kabbalah, or Kabbalah. I think is how you pronounce it, Jewish mysticism. It's, it's, it, you, you oftentimes hear many Hollywood elites are into this thing. You know, they take a piece of paper and there's a Hebrew letter and then they, they roll it up and then they burn it and then they breathe the smoke and this is supposed to do something for them besides lung cancer, right? And, and this is the kind of thing, this mystical, mystic approach to how do, how do I get to this? It's really deep. It's really deep. And I alone can understand it. And I think maybe you can too. Because you're like me. You're smart. You see how it's just so demonic. This was the kind of philosophy against which Paul is speaking and cautioning. And he says, empty deceptions. That is deceit. That is devoid of truth. William Hendrickson said, it promises big things to those who obey its ordinances, yet it never delivers on what it promises. Just give me 
give me a little more money and give me a little more time and eventually I'll lead you to the secrets. Sound like the Masons? Sound like Scientology? Sound like Mormonism? Yes, yes, and yes. It's, it's here. It's, it's all among, uh, around us. This philosophy and this empty deception, Paul writes, is according to the traditions of men, according to the elementary principles of the world. We're going a little deeper now into the, to the weeds. The teaching of the false teachers had nothing to do with the teachings of Christ Jesus uh, as Lord, um, as was handed down to uh, the church by the apostles. Rather, this philosophy of which they were to be on guard against was in line with or down from the traditions of men according to the elementary principles of the world. Listen to this proverb and listen. Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Here, the traditions of men were a mix of Jewish ceremonialism, angelolatry, and asceticism, that is strict self-discipline. If you want to be good with God, now I'm, I'm giving you my, my paraphrases. If you want to be good with God, do these things, observe these rituals, and pray to these beings. No one is 100% certain what exactly these false teachers were teaching. Um, to read the commentaries is dizzying. These traditions presented as philosophies were according to the elementary principles of the world. What does this mean? Elementary meaning the, the rudiments, primary and fundamental principles. We think of uh, when you teach a child his ABCs, where do you start? with A, B, and C. <laughs> when you teach him math, when you want to teach him a discipline as math, you say one, two, three. You, you break out the crayons, and you start separating crayon from crayon, and you say you've got one over here, and you've got three over there. How many does that make? One, two, three, four. Right? This is what the rudimentaries were. Uh, they're the fundamentals of any art, science, and discipline. Specifically here, the ceremonial requirements, especially of Jewish tradition minutely set forth by theosophists and false teachers and fortified by specious arguments. A specious argument is an argument that looks good, but is false. These are the false teachers. I'm going to argue this point, and you're going to, and you're going to, you're going to grow in this. Again, William Hendrickson said this, the rudiments of the world indicates rudimentary teaching regarding rules, regulations, ordinances by means of which before Christ's coming in the flesh, people, that being Jews and Gentiles, tried by their own efforts to achieve salvation. With the coming of Christ and the work of the apostles, this sinful, autosoteric, that is self-saving tendency and teaching continued, sponsored now by enthusiastic Judaists so that they combined teaching about Christ with Mosaic, Pharisaic laws, so that trust was transferred from Jesus Christ to other things. Do you see what we're talking about? Maybe not. Let me make it uh, more clear if I can. Again, listen to the Proverbs now in light of what we just said. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Here, the philosophy and empty deception of these false teachers was really quite worldly, handed down to them by worldly men. Worldly in the sense that their message was one that man 
has what it takes inherently to make himself of worth to God. He has the willpower, the strength, even the knowledge to give God what he desires in order to secure for himself a right standing with God. These are the religions of the world today. This is what we find with them. It's a timeless heresy. It, it's what you, you, you see on Hallmark movies, being that it's the Christmas season. It started after October 31st. <laughs> right? The holiday movies, you know, we're good people. We become angels when we die. You know, you just be good. And you go to a church that doesn't preach doctrine. They just have fellowship potluck meals. And this is what the good life is. This is what makes a person good. Listen here, because I believe he's very plain here at the end of chapter 2. Look with me at verses 18 through 23, and I think we get a sampling of what these rudimentary principles are. Paul writes, Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of, of the angels, taking his stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the entire body, being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments, grows with the growth which is from God. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as, listen, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with use, in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men. These are matters which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. Again, listen to what it says. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. It sounds like the instructions they were given were given to preschoolers. Take your hands off. No, no, no. You sit still and you don't touch that. These are the elementary principles of the world, and they've never changed. Notice then, they probably didn't cut Jesus out of the equation when speaking of salvation, but added human rigor to the equation just like the religions of the world do today. The worldly mindset is, is this. What can I do for God? What can I bring for God? What must I do to secure salvation? I mentioned the Mormons. I mentioned the Hindus. I mentioned Islam, Kabbalah, that Jewish mysticism the Native American religions um, with the, the smudging and the, the sweat lodge. We have Buddhism with their meditations and their fastings and Roman Catholicism. And friends, listen, I'm not here to bash anyone. I'm a sinner saved by grace, as are you. And at the risk of sounding like I'm here to just unnecessarily offend you, I, I see this this mindset that sometimes grabs the church. Oh, well, I don't, I don't mean to judge. As if, well, they have their particular truth and I have my particular truth. Do you know how nonsensical that is? You see, they'll ever see the bumper sticker I, I stick on my cars? Contradict? They can't all be true. If Jesus Christ says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father but through me, then how do we explain these other religions? Either Jesus is a big fat liar 
where all these other religions are just flat out wrong. You can't have it both ways. Either he told the truth or he was just lying. So you have all of these things, even many Protestants. I, I, I think of this with our devotions and our various works and our various disciplines and now with our wokeness that has crept into the church. See, if I do these things, that makes me a really good candidate for heaven. And don't think it can't happen. I, I criticize the Roman Catholics because they deserve to be criticized. Seriously, the Pope, what, what's he, who is he and what's he saying? And what has the Roman Catholic Church done for 1,500 years? But create tradition upon tradition upon tradition and, and regulations and ordinances that if you must do these things, if you're really to be saved, and then I see that the Protestants were not much better by creating rules and things like this, that if you do these things, you will be the good Christian, and if you don't do these things, your salvation's really suspect. And we create virtues for people to jump through, and we create these virtues for ourselves so that we can feel better about ourselves, and at night I can go to bed, and gee, I'm a good person, thank you, God, for saving, no, no, it's not thank you, it's just, gee, you're blessed, Lord, you're lucky to have me. Satan's deceptive and it masquerades and it feels so right it can't be wrong thank you Debbie Boone because we are buying into the traditions of men and these worldly philosophies by which we feel quite good about ourselves in all of these religions Christ is part of the system part of the equation you and Jesus you and Jesus will accomplish your salvation together. You do these things and you will get to heaven. You will be holy. You will be happy. And that's what we've done. And we place our confidence and our hope in these things. And we go to bed at night feeling quite good about ourselves. And the problem is, friends, is that your confidence and your hope and your security, your refuge, is what you have done for that day. And you don't go back to Jesus Christ. That's the problem. That's the problem. This is the world's tradition. This is the message handed down from generation to generation, which seems right, except that it isn't. Why? Because it leads you away from Jesus Christ and causes you to place your hope in your efforts for God rather than your hoping in Christ alone. You will be made a captive. How? Because you will go to bed and you will snap at your children. And you will say I didn't try hard enough and you will say oh I think maybe I'm not good enough am I good enough God have I done enough and your joy and your freedom and the one who said my yoke is light my burden or my burden is light my yoke is easy you say it's not and you get buried under misery and darkness That's the problem. It leads you slowly away from the Lord Jesus Christ in a joy and a peace and a rest in him to now it's all about you and you can't get your mind off of yourself and off of your performance. And the moment, friends, your eyes are on yourself and on your performance, you're going to sink because if you stand it all in the light of the scripture, you will see you're a miserable, 
failure, as am I. I believe this book speaks directly to us in many corners of the church today. What does he say? Again, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. Notice here that the world system, the tradition of men, is contrary to what they and we have learned of Jesus Christ. My friends, you mustn't fall prey to these false religions, these false messages of Christ, of Christ in you, of Jesus plus rigor, or Jesus plus the new age, or Jesus plus the sweat lodge. We will get this done. No, we won't. <laughs> no, we won't. It is Jesus plus nothing. This is Paul's point. Listen to verse 8 and 9. Rather than according to Christ, you see, he puts them, he puts them in, 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 in contrast. Rather than according to Christ, for in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Christ Jesus is enough, my friends. He is enough. He is enough for you. You don't need anything else. Does that sound like good news? Yeah. It should sound like great news to you. But it's a burden that we, we've had the world placed on us, and it surely can't be enough. The message of the false teachers was that Christ was not quite good enough. The apostle rebuts their message by pointing out that Christ Jesus is quite enough. How can we be sure he is enough? Because of who he is. And we're going to be done here in just a few minutes. He is more than a mere man who was enlightened. Understand that. He is more than just a prophet, more than just a teacher and a moral example. He is more than a spirit guide, an avatar, a talisman, a charm like a rabbit's foot that you rub periodically in order to have success. Stop looking at Jesus Christ as, as, as just uh, an admirer. Become his devoted follower. Believe upon him. He is, as the Nicene Creed says, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, listen, being of one substance with the Father. He says, in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. He said earlier, he is the image of the invisible God. Do you want to know who God is? Read the Gospels. Read about Jesus Christ. See that the demons fled before him. See that he made blind eyes to see, that he made the deaf to hear, and he made the lame to walk, that he healed iniquities. He, he, he canceled the debt of sin against the sinner. See that he has clothed us in the righteousness of God. See this as Jesus Christ. Hendrickson said, the entire essence and glory of God is concentrated in Christ as in a body. It is in this sense that it can be said that this fullness of the Godhead is embodied, given concrete expression, fully realized in him. My friends, he is complete, he is perfect, he is holy from everlasting to everlasting the same. He is in substance the same as the Father and the Spirit. He is not a path to righteousness and happiness. Listen to me. 
Jesus Christ is not a path to righteousness and happiness. Jesus Christ is righteousness. Jesus Christ is holiness. Jesus Christ is the Christian's happiness. Do you see the difference? We have so often approached Jesus Christ as, well, I'll take a little Jesus, please. But Jesus Christ is the fullness of God. He's there. Christ is enough. He is enough. And finally, he says in verse 10, in Christ, you have been made complete. And in him, you have been made complete. And he is the head over all rule and authority. Again, these false teachers were saying that Jesus, while important, was not quite enough. Well, Paul argues that he is quite enough because all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form in him. Those who look to him believing that he alone saves and will save them, will deliver them from the wrath to come. In him, they have been made complete. My friends, you don't need to do anything else, nor can you do more to make yourself fit for heaven. That's the good news. I hope, I hope some of you women can go to bed tonight and you can sigh a sigh of relief and just say, thank you, Lord. I hope some of you men who bear in your souls the scars of fathers who weren't affirming can say, but my father loves me and he now sees me as quite enough in Christ. He's done it. I think we have a bigger problem with this than any of us would like to think. You don't need to do anything else, nor can you do more to make yourself fit for heaven. By faith in Christ, you have been made full. You have been made complete as righteous and as holy as you will ever, ever be. That's how complete the work of Christ was on your behalf. So again, the guilt you feel, you don't need to feel the shame for the past. My friends, Jesus paid it all. He clothes you in his righteousness. And listen, he calls you sons and daughters, and he has made a place at his table for you. Rest in him. Rest in him alone. And he is a stepping stone to no one, not a part of the process, as he is the head over all rule and authority. I think this is why I love the Thief on the Cross account so much. Jesus, he said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you today, you shall be with me in paradise. That man did absolutely nothing. How could Jesus say this? Because Jesus is enough. He's enough. He is quite enough, my friends. He is enough to heal your iniquities, your diseases, to cancel the debt of your sin, and to make you fit for heaven. And we must never, never, never allow anyone to tell us otherwise. Otherwise, you will become a captive. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, again for your word, and we thank you for the Lord Jesus, who is quite enough for us. We thank you that in him we have been set free. We pray, O oh Lord, that we would no longer fall prey to these false spirits, these false teachers, 
who would come and try to place shackles on us with smiles and to tell us that Jesus isn't enough. Father, we confess that we've only scratched the surface of these things, and yet we pray that this would be a course correction for many of us, for all of us, and that we would look to Jesus and that we would rejoice in him. We thank you, Lord, for your love for us. We thank you for what you've accomplished. We pray that we would hold fast to Jesus as he holds on to us. I do pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.